It's time for the latest buzz on pets from around the corner, down the block, and across the world with award-winning journalist, author, speaker, educator, and host, Arden Moore. Arden has twice been named by Oprah Winfrey as one of her top three pet hosts. And just this past year, the Cat Writers Association awarded Arden the coveted President's Award, given exclusively to the best of the best. Arden is driven to live her motto, bringing out the best in pets and their people. So snuggle up with your favorite fur baby because it's time for another episode of Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. Pause up, pet pals. Welcome to Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Count yourself lucky. That's right, because our first guests are the stars of the CBS hit show, Lucky Dog. It airs on Saturday mornings. They are Eric and Rashi Weesey. They team up to train dogs rescued from shelters so they can become bona fide members of families all over the country. Now, later in the show, we're going to talk with world-renowned veterinarian, Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He's going to unleash ways to make the senior years in your dog truly golden ones. So at first stop, every Saturday, I watch episodes of Lucky Dog. They air on CBS. And now for the past two seasons, the show has been hosted by our special guest today. And they rescue dogs from shelters. They train them at their Lucky Dog Ranch. And I just love what you all do. So, you know, Superman can fly. Spider-Man, he can climb buildings. But to me, the real superheroes in the world of pets answer to the names of Eric and Rashi Weesey, stars of the Lucky Dog Show. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much, Arden. We're happy to be here. Yeah. You just got to get a superhero uh, theme song, and then you'll be all I, right. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for this. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to scare I mean, people is... off by singing. That that doesn't going to do it. Yeah, no, so... you don't want to hear me sing. I already dance in the show, so <laughs> no one needs to see that. Oh, yes, and I'm going to bring that up right now. Everybody, yeah. uh, check out an episode, past episode, where uh, our guy, Eric Weesey, was trying to do some was that 80s or 90s? I, I don't know what it was. Uh, I was just feeling the music. I'm, yeah, but what happened? The voter, the four-legger Choo-Choo said. Mm, yeah, I no, I, uh, the, so the <laughs> adopter of Choo-Choo uh, was or is still a professional dancer. So right. I had no I had no shot, so I had to do something crazy. Uh, and it was really bad. But uh, Eric, don't lie. You do that dance move all the time. Yeah, I do. Oh, I do. I do thank you. Rashi, now, the record when I go to sorry. a wedding, it comes out. It comes so, out. It comes out. Yeah. It comes out. Hey, I I feel lucky to have you both on the show, and it's almost like you were meant to be together. I know that uh, you met each other what in 2014, or said I do in 2016. Yeah, 14 is when we met, and 16 is when we were married. So it's and been- what happened in December of 2021, Rashi? Our little baby girl, Asara. Uh, she was actually born October 31st. Uh, oh, she's a Halloween baby. Halloween baby. A Halloween oh, baby. even ghoulishly better. Spectacular. Uh, wow. It wasn't a holiday I particularly loved until she arrived. And now, of course, it's my favorite holiday. So, yep, we have all of our fur babies and now our human babies. And, you know, I can't do a radio show because I know your dogs are listening. Can you do a little quick shout out on who they are? 
Yes. So we have Enzo, uh, which is our Belgian <laughs> Malinois. And then Say we, him right now and see if he shows for our YouTube. He, well, he's not, he's not in here. He's playing in the yard right oh, now. Oh, okay. Uh, but we have Enzo, which is our Belgian Malinois. We have Rupert. He's our Terrier Poodle Mix. Okay. We have Winston, another little Maltese Poodle Mix. And then we have Ella, uh, who's a Terrier. And then we just recently added Adele, uh, who we just rescued from the shelter probably, what, four months ago? So, yeah. yeah. So we have a full house. But, I mean, when you have a ranch, why not? Why not get these guys out (laughs) of the home? I I totally agree. So people know you both for being on and being the host of the Lucky Dog Show. Um, But your backgrounds, I want to kind of dive in a little bit because people are curious. I like that it's a duel. Because I think you're both bringing something to the table. Uh, shout out to you, Boston University. Rashi, tell us a little bit. You've got a couple of degrees. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I did graduate from Boston University, and I, uh, my major was psychology. I was, at that time, actually fearful of dogs, so it wasn't oh, my really? to work with dogs. Yeah, so that's a, a little twist to the story that's always really interesting. And I do feel like this has been my calling, my purpose in life is to work with animals, and that was after meeting Eric. So you meet this dancing fool uh, yep. that has and dogs that like, drool? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was planning to work for, with women and children. That was the demographic. Um, so then I went to social work school, um, got okay. my master's at USC. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and that was a wonderful experience. And, you know, they help you try to find what you're passionate about. And I did a few internships and, you know, was figuring my way out. I worked in tech and HR for a little bit and I met Eric at that time and I met Eric and Archie, our <laughs> okay. package deal. And I don't know, it just was, was it love at first woof. Absolutely. It was so transformative. I learned so much from Eric about behavior and I worked through my fears, which I felt looking back, you know, I just didn't have enough exposure. And so the lack of exposure turned into fear of getting bitten or, you know, even touching dogs at one point, it was just, you know, I I think he's, he's helped you quite a bit, Rashi. And from your standpoint, Eric, people know you at Lucky Dog, but you two have a place called, is it called Happy Puppies LA? What is that? Happy Puppy LA. So we actually started this company together. When I was out in the field uh, doing behavior assessments and working in veterinary practices, mm-hmm. we actually had a question quite often come up where we take our own dogs when we want to go out of town or if okay. we have to get away. And I didn't really have a good answer for them to uh, recommend a place that we really fell in yeah. love with. So after the thousandth person... <laughs> Asked, uh, we decided to create our own space. We were really looking for personalized care, which was hard yeah, to- yeah. So now, this is kind of neat. It it is a match made for dogs because, and you two, of course, because Eric, you know, you've got a lot of alphabet letters after your name. I'm I'm going to run down. You are an American Kennel Club Canine Good Citizen Evaluator, so yeah. AKC GCE, whatever. Yep. <laughs> and you got the. Uh, uh, Association of Professional Dog Trainers, APDT, and IAABC, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. Whew, I got to take a lot of breaths. All that yeah. means that you seem to be quite the good teacher on dog behavior, but also a student. Is that correct? I try. I, w- I would say I'm even more of a student 
uh, and I will be for probably the rest of my life. That's I a mean, good thing. Learn, yeah, we learn something new every day, or at least I do, because we have to continue our education with the IAABC. Yep. Uh, we get to learn new things every year, and it's pretty incredible the you know new science that's coming out on dog behavior. But it's it's something that has just been a passion of mine since a really really young child and just fell in love with canines also as a young child and have been doing it ever since I was eight years old, nine years old. So, well, I understand one of your first gigs was a teenager in St. Louis and were you scooping poop or what were you doing there? at? Yeah, no, I I worked, I worked uh, at a boarding kennel uh, and realized, you know, kind of what I wanted to change at a young age, but couldn't or didn't have the resources to make those changes uh, until I got a little bit older and went the certification route. So there's a couple of different routes you can take when going into animal behavior or animal right. science. You can go the formal education route and go the veterinary route, or you can get field work and certifications. And that's the route I took because I wanted to work in the field. So it's something that, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for people that, you know, work behind the scenes and do, uh, you know, lab studies and, and case studies, you know, and a lot of desk work, but I actually wanted to be out in the field and work uh, with the animals. And so that's why I took the route I did, but I'm so glad I did because I get to see on a daily basis, the changes in behavior. You are, you, you took the right path. Hey, everybody, we're sp- speaking with Rashi and Eric. We see they are the stars, the host of Lucky Dog the show airs on CBS on Saturday. We're going to dive in more into that show after we pay for the show by taking this commercial break. You all know the drill. Sit, stay. We'll be right back. This is Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. Pets, they're incredible. And I'll bet you your pet is the most incredible. Yeah? So why not tell us about it? Or better yet, show us. If you have an incredible pet, and we know you do, our email address is flllpetpals at gmail.com. Who knows? Maybe your incredible pet will become the next four-legged life sensation. Remember, flllpetpals at gmail.com. Welcome back to Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. We're chatting with Arashi and Eric Wiese of Lucky Dogs, Lucky Dog, the show. And I've been watching every Saturday morning. Now, I confess, sometimes I'm teaching pet first aid on a Saturday, but it is recorded. It is my dessert for the day. And you've had quite a lot of different tales. And you have trained these dogs to go with you on a loose leash rollerblading or going in a kayak. Or having to look at your dancing, Eric. <laughs> Tell us, because you guys, it always has a good template. You, you guys are in the yard doing something and you get a call. And for those dogs, that is the lotto winning call, don't you think, Eric? We hope so. I mean, that's the thing is we hope that every dog that we get to save, uh, you know, has that new shot at life and, and a new shot at a new family. And that's the whole purpose of this is to make sure these guys have the best life. And, you know, we were the ones that domesticated these dogs. So That's right. I feel like it's a, 
human responsibility that we have to make sure that they get the best life that we can provide them. So, yeah, I, I'd like to think that uh, we're also winning the lottery, too, by getting these guys out. But, yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty amazing what we get to do. So before we talk about your six cues, I'm a dog in a shelter. And here comes this cool guy, Eric, and he comes to my kennel door. What's the first thing you're trying to convey to that dog? Uh, I, I first want to come across as non-threatening. Uh, so I, I won't typically square off uh, right. to a dog. I won't face the dog. I'll kind of crouch down, let the dog yeah. sniff the back of my hand. And then I'm looking for body language signals. Uh, is the dog stressed? So I'm looking at the tails between the legs, if the ears are kind of pinned back against the neck. I'm looking for lick lips, you know, oh, they, yeah. their lips, oh, yeah. which are all signs of stress, yawning. Uh, so I'm looking for all of these things just to see how tense maybe the body language may be. And then very gently going into the shelter because of time constraints, we don't get to show all that I do when I go into a shelter. Yeah. Give us a little behind the scenes. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it takes maybe 15, 20 minutes, if not longer for me just to be able to get into uh, the shelter run, whether that's me giving treats to the dog, just building okay. that trust. Once we're able to build that trust, I'm able to kind of gently go into the shelter because this is a space that dogs are so nervous uh, in and they don't really know why they're there. There's no context and they don't know what I'm doing there. Exactly. So I need to make sure that they trust me, that I can actually get them on a lead and get them out of there as soon as possible and get them in a more home-like environment, something that they're going to be in for the rest of their life so we can start that rehabilitation process. I like that. And Rashi, you kind of vet out potential uh, pet adopters. So you're, you're sort of a matchmaker, right? Yeah. And so with your background in psychology and sociology and your background in, in dog training, it seems like it's a trio of good traits to have. Eric brings a dog home. How, what are you doing to try to say, hmm, this dog might be really good in this home? Yeah, so we have a ton of families that were lucky to go through kind of like applications and yeah. sift through them to see what would be a potentially good match. I rely on Eric a lot to tell me what his uh, assessment is of the dog and what type of family we think would fit really well. You know, whether they have children, are they small children, are they adult children? Right. Um, what are their hobbies? What type of schedule do they have? You know, some people want to have a large dog, but maybe live in an apartment setting and it's not ideal for the dog. So there's a ton of, I would say, checklists that we go through. Okay. A good veterinarian friend of mine, Dr. Marty Becker says, when you get a dog, keep in mind that you probably will have that dog longer than your job, longer than the life of your car. You may even move. So you shouldn't rush into it, right? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's also our job to educate the public. Yeah. Everyone knows how cute dogs are, but they don't necessarily realize the amount of work, especially when you adopt a puppy, uh, the amount of work it, it can take. <laughs> I call the first year in a puppy's life the wonder year because you wonder where your sanity went. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really well in just the decompression phase that a dog yeah. goes through when they come into our environment because they're not just coming into our environment and this is it. They're going to another home. Yeah. It's trying I, I, to bridge So that. I like that because I... I know you have the six cues, we can say them quickly, but I sense from both of you, and I always felt this is important, a dog needs to feel safe before they can really learn. Do you believe that? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I honestly, I don't know how, you know, a human could even learn when they're not in a safe environment or they don't feel like they can be safe while they're learning uh, that particular skill 
or being educated in something. So we want to make sure that, you know, a dog is completely comfortable with us before we start going into those cues, because if a dog is stressed, you're not going to get the best performance out of the dog. And you're actually going to be ruining the relationship right off the bat because they don't have that trust built up just yet. So give us a couple inside tips. How can people at home, they bring home a dog or they find a dog like I did, Emma, during the heart of COVID. And my focus was to keep her safe because she was a puddle of shiver. What can you share with folks to help people realize the importance of doing something to make them feel safe? What do you do? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely really high value treats can help in that circumstance, making sure that the proper resources are available to them. So the water and the food are going to be really big, but setting up a safe place in the home where they can kind of just hang out and go through that decompression phase, whether that be, you know, a puppy pen that you've set out uh, in more of a thoroughfare, because I I want to make sure that dogs aren't put into a room, even if that room has natural light coming in. I, I want them to kind of see people walking by And when those people do walk by, whether it's family members or friends, they can simply not even look at the dog, just drop treats in. So they start to value looking at people walking by uh, their little Ah, Dr. Watson, very good. And Rashi, I mean, your two careers, you dog side and people side, it's positive reinforcement, isn't it? And patience. (laughs) (laughs) And that's something I learned over time. Do you ever bring a dog and say, oh my gosh, I don't want to give this one up. Oh my gosh. That's, <laughs> that has to be. Why, why do you think we have so many dogs? Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. our problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's tough because there are so many dogs that need homes, especially here in LA. Um, yeah. So yes, one day we hope yeah. we can have space. We have about a minute left, but what are the six cues? Take them. You got them probably tattooed sure. on your forearm. Go. Yeah, I, I should. <laughs> yeah. So sit, stay down, come, leave it and loose leash walking. So those are the cues that lay down a good foundation when you're working with your dog. Obviously, before those cues get put into play, we want to make sure that we build the trust with our dogs. So tell us any fun episode we can tune into later this year. Oh my gosh, we have so many little episodes coming up that uh, we had a lot of fun shooting. Uh, One in particular that's close to our heart is a dog named Emma. And it was just really special because she definitely needed to get out of the shelter. And we actually were able to rehome her with uh, a friend of ours who uh, was in desperate need of companionship. Oh, and good. It was and it's just, her first dog. And it's her first dog. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Love Matt, just a perfect ours. match. Yeah. And we were just so happy uh, to find her this home. But yeah, you'll see, you'll see a lot of that in the episode on how we kind of acclimate her to uh, one of our good friends. Well, I salute you for all you're doing for dogs and needs of homes and any quick little parting message, Rashi? Uh, adopt, don't shop. I'm just All right. That's our mission. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be kind to your dogs, guys. Uh, they don't have a voice. So it, it's really important that uh, we try to understand them the best we can. Yeah. Well, thank you both for being on the show. And I'm a fan. I admit it. All right, everybody. After this break, we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He is a world-renowned veterinarian and best-selling author, and he's going to help us with our senior dogs, giving us ways to make it truly golden years for our senior dogs. So sit, stay. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life Show. Our next guest knows how to ensure your dog's senior years can be truly golden ones. He is one of the world's premier veterinarians. He heads the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. And yes, he's a best-selling author of a must-get book. It is called Good Old Dog, Expert Advice for Keeping Your Aging Dog Happy, Healthy, and comfortable. Please welcome to our show, Dr. Nicholas Dodman. I am so glad you're here, Dr. Nick. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And you have a good old dog yourself right now, right? I do. I'm actually living the dream, so to speak. <laughs> um, Rusty is about 14 years old and you know, showing some of the signs of aging, but he's still happy and active. What kind of dog is Rusty? Um, I don't know for sure because, of course, I adopted him. My favorite breed is Rescue. Mine too. Um, <laughs> and I and I'm almost certain he's um, got Boxer in him. Uh, he looks about half Boxer. Uh huh. Because he's had a certain type of skin tumor that's pretty much unique to Boxers. And I think the other half is Rhodesian Ridgeback. Okay. And how old was he? Do you think about when you did well, adopt him? What do you guess? Well, that's a subject of deba debate inside my household, too. I remember distinctly he was eight months. Okay. My wife said, oh, no, he was 10 months. So <laughs> we're just going to settle for nine months. That's what keeps a happy wife, happy life, right? Yep. We just compromise <laughs> all the way. Hey, pet pals, I've known Dr. Dodman for uh, probably 20 years. Uh, we, were, we worked in a way together when I was editor of a publication called Catnip, which is through Tufts University's School of Veterinary Medicine. And at the time, uh, you, sir, were the uh, director of um, animal behavior at the Tufts University. And I remember when, uh, years later, you gave me this book, and I love this book, Good Old Dog. I think the advice and the insight is ageless. What what motivated you and the team at Tufts to tackle this in a book? Well, it was a sort of natural progression because we'd written Puppy's First Steps. Right. Um, which was, again, um, an entire veterinary school um, uh, operation. You know, I obviously wrote some chapters, um, came up with the idea. And I'd written lots of books about middle-of-life dogs and things and experiences they have. So the part that was missing was the other end of life. Right. So I said to the um, writer who um, helped to construct it, I was editor and Larry Lindner was the um, actual um, hired for gun writer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, uh, you know, let's tell real stories about older dogs and illustrate the conditions that they can get as they age. So really, because it's got serious veterinary input, yes. it becomes almost like a handbook. It is. That, you know, as your dog is getting older and you see, for example, you know, you're wondering, for example, what to feed him. Um, there's a chapter on that. Well, that's or what I was hoping we could do. Is... There's a chapter on that. And so it goes on. Yes. And, and I like the way the book is organized because you do have uh, you, you tell it through the story of uh, some dogs who, with those subject matters. I wanted mm -hmm. to dive in uh, before the break. You say that old is not a disease. Old is not a disease. I mean, we all want to be Methuselahs. We can't be that way. But when it comes to our dogs, what does that mean? Well, it's just a natural progression through life. Um, 
you know, you start out, you know, as an egg. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> Were you, you a up. good egg? I always wanted to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, my mother thought so. Good, good. But um, yeah, and so, and then you just uh, go through all these transitions and, you know, age in a way is, um, it's a physical thing. It's the passing of years. So, you know, what is your age? As a dog, it's 12, it's 14 or so. But people think that age and disease are synonymous and they're not. You can be a successful ager. You could live to quite a ripe old age, you know, as some humans who are 100 years old engage in some super interesting project of reconstructing a, you know, pipe organ or some such or into gardening. And I really have a 98-year-old flow from from Oceanside, California, who lives with her two schnauzers and a friend. And that lady is, she's wittier than most people I know. Yeah, I met a little old dog the other day. You um, did? And he was uh, just a, it was like a Jack Russell type. Okay. And they said, I said, can my dog approach? They said, well, not really, because he's 19 Whoa. and he can't hear and he can't see. But he enjoys life. He loves his food. He likes petting and, yeah. um, you know, has lots of fun. But, you know, he doesn't like to be approached because he can't sense it. And all of a sudden it's there and he could erupt. But so he was 19 years young, so to speak, you know, having a good life. But he had some of the, you know, the things that happen as you get older, whether it's uh, hearing or eyesight or mobility, things do happen. So, um, Well, do you think when it comes to that, do you think dogs are maybe better adaptable at some loss of a sense than maybe we as people are? Um, I think so, because, you know, the man yesterday said his dog could still smell. Right. And when you think about it, the sense of smell is just so absolutely incredible in dogs. You know, we have something like 12 million smell receptors and they have, you know, sort of just hit in the middle of the road there, a billion a billion? Wow. A billion. And so Can you what, give us put that in perspective? What could be something a dog could smell at maybe a distance that we had no whiff of? Well, there was a little experiment somebody did. They put some meat into a box. I think it was pork, and they okay. put it into a box and they lowered it into a lake on a rope about 100 feet deep. Whoa. And the dog had been trained to detect this meat that whenever this meat was around, it would bark and it got excited because it, it liked it, it smelled good, and it could eat it. Okay. And then they drove the boat across the lake backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. Every time the boat went across the location that they knew the box was at, the dog started to bark and got excited. So he could smell the meat in a box 100 feet underwater. Wow. So if you were trying to sneak Cheetos in your upstairs bedroom – from not your spouse and that Latin on your cheating on your diet, your dog's going to bust you, right? Yeah, my dog knows if, if I'm somebody's walking along, they say, hi, how are you doing? And immediately he goes up to them and is very interested in them. They say, oh, my God, I think he knows I've got treats on me. Yeah, of course oh, he does. Oh, yeah. They can smell uh, fingerprints on a glass slide six weeks after their owner has touched it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Are you going to come back as a dog in your next life? Um, well, a lot of people have said they'd like to come back as my dog. Oh, I would say definitely, definitely. In the Italian restaurant where I ordered him some, uh, you know, roast chicken, <laughs> you know, hold the sauce. And he's sitting there and saying, oh, my, you've got your dog. I mean, if ever I come back as another creature, I'd like to come back as your dog. You treat him so well. I, I have to say bow wow on that. You know, 
people know you, you've been, you know, the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. How long has that been around? We've been around for about five or six years. Um, and the beginning was kind of slow, you know, beginnings mm -hmm. are never easy and getting off the ground and um, working with Dr. James Sapel from, you know, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, we did a paper looking at the effects of human personality on dog behavior um, that was well received. And then we did a demographic study because a lot of the studies about, you know, how many dogs show aggression, how many dogs have separation anxiety, how many dogs have thunderstorm for, a lot of them are based out of universities. They've got a skewed caseload. Right. We just asked all our members, our seven or 8,000 members of our group, you know, please tell us if your dog has an issue. Oh, so it turns out, yeah, we had it exactly pegged. And we also did comorbidities, that those behaviors that statistically traveled together, like separation anxiety and thunderstorm phobia, you can have one or you can have the other, but you often have both. Okay, well, we're so, going to dive more into that after we come back from this uh, break. Everyone, we're speaking with Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He is the director of the Center for Canine Behavior Studies and the author of Good Old Dog. So everybody, you know the drill. Sit, stay. We'll be right back. This is Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. Pets, they're incredible. And I'll bet you your pet is the most incredible. Yeah? So why not tell us about it? Or better yet, show us. Our email address is flllpetpals at gmail.com. Who knows? Maybe your incredible pet will become the next four-legged life sensation. This is Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. Pets, they're incredible. And I'll bet you your pet is the most incredible. Yeah? So why not tell us about it? Or better yet, show us. If you have an incredible pet, and we know you do, our email address is flllpetpals at gmail.com. Who knows? Maybe your incredible pet will become the next four-legged life sensation. Remember, flllpetpals at gmail.com. Hey, welcome back. Uh, you didn't chew up anyone's shoes while we were gone, did you? There you go. Nice. This is Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. Welcome back to Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. We're with Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He heads up the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. We're going in with the senior dog. We have a lot of folks out there listening who do have gray-muzzled dogs. Do you have any idea? I mean, our why dogs may be living longer? You know, better health care certainly has allowed dogs to live longer, better nutrition, just a more favorable lifestyle. You know, right. dog walks, dog parks, getting out there, mixing mental things, you know, having fun and keeping your brain active. Well, I know I mean, like true. a generation ago, there weren't food puzzles. There weren't snuffle mats. They right. must have an impact mentally on a dog's longevity. All of the above. It's kind of the same as, the, you know, it wasn't that many years ago where the average lifespan of a human was 45 years. And right. now it's, um, well, might not quite double that, but it's definitely increased. And again, it's due to um, better diets and medicine and you know, various activities. And we know so much more about exercise is good for you and the foods that you shouldn't eat and should eat and such like. Well, I, I love this book. One of the chapters I really think is important for all of us 
You call it the price of aging gracefully. What can we do to extend the quality of life for our good old dogs? It depends a little bit on the dog. But of course, you know, I'm living the life of that right now with my dog, Rusty. And he's basically, no, we're not pushing him. You know, we don't make him do anything that he couldn't do. We understand that things are changing a little bit inside his body. He's got some arthritis. I mean, he had a couple of knee you know, ligaments go in his in his knees, um, which were repaired, and he's had a slip disc. And okay. he's just not as agile as he used to be. He used to run in circles and play like crazy, <laughs> and right. he did things we called spin moves. And and but now he's more of a plodder, but he can still do you know, a two and a half, three mile walk, but that's nothing like even a couple of years ago when he could do a one mile walk in the morning, seven mile walk at lunchtime and one mile walk in the evening at wow. a pretty fast clip because my wife is a fast walker. Okay. And then he'd, take, he'd do detours up and down hills and chasing uh-huh. things because he's always off lead. That's another thing that he likes and we like about him. Well, he, he is the, the dog of Dr. Nicholas Dadman. I mean, it's, come on, he's got some brain power. He knows how to do the right thing when, right? And I do some bad things, too, because, oh. <laughs> um, you know, like if you believe, you know, sort of academic nutritionists, you should only feed proper dog food because it's balanced for dogs. But that does not explain, you know, talking about aging gracefully. He does like hamburger. Ah. So I make him a hamburger and cheese omelet every morning. Oh, my gosh. He's, just had one today. And then when we go for a walk in the evening, it's totally off limits, right? But there's a little in the summer there's a little hot dog stand down by the beach we take him there and he goes to the window and he looks up and he's so happy yes so we just cope with all his little like we, we insist on him having some regular food too which, oh yeah of course but he's getting but, lots of treats we, we live with he lives within his limits he sleeps on the bed he sleeps on the furniture he does what he wants he's got no rules he's just aging gracefully but i see that he is aging and it does concern me because he's about a you know, 58 to 60 pound dog. And yeah, what's you know, that equivalent? When he was, ooh, if they'd said, you know, how long do you think a dog of this type would live? I'd say, well, on average, about 14 years. Yeah. Well, he's 14. <laughs> what would that be the human equivalent of roughly for Rusty? Well, it depends. Or for Rusty, there is a chart in the book where, where you can um, look up the weight of your dog and you can go across the line and see because. You know, it's quite true that some of the very large breeds have very um, short lifespans, you know, relatively speaking. Some dogs, you know, doing pretty well to make it to 10 or 11. Some dogs you might expect, like Rusty, to live to 14. And some dogs, often little dogs, you know, will will live to be 17 or 18, like a little 19-year-old terrier that I met the other day. Right. Um, so it depends on your size. It's kind of almost the bigger they come, the quicker they fall. I would say that the traditional thing is seven years for one of ours. If I multiply 14 by seven, um, I get an age that I know he's not. You know, okay. he's not 98 years old. You know, he's he's probably, um, he looks like he could be about 70. So how many, 14 times what is 70? Five, right? Yeah. So in his case, the ratio is five to one. Well, if he was a female, you'd be calling him Betty White Wolf, right? I certainly would. <laughs> I other, Betty so one section is you say there are, we have about four minutes left on the show. There's five common medical conditions of the older dog. 
Can you maybe give us a couple that we can look out for to be more and take more of a preventative approach to either avoid them or minimize the brunt of such conditions? I'm thinking yeah, I mean, kidneys. <laughs> in the book, we, we did have that chapter on the five conditions, you know, starting from uh, nose to tail. Dental disease is a biggie. That really must be looked out for, preferably some kind of prophylactic uh, treatment, toothbrushing or regular dental prophies. In the old days, I remember I'm old enough, having graduated many moons ago, that dentistry in veterinary medicine in the early days was you wait till they're about 10 or 11 years old, they've got bad breath, and you take them in for a dental and, and half the teeth come out. Yeah. Well, it's not just all about extractions now. It's about taking care of teeth like we have to take care of ours because they've got to last your whole lifetime. And it's not just tooth for tooth, although they're useful for chewing. Right. Um, If you get periodontal disease, that showers bacteria in can cause heart disease, you know, um, infections of heart muscle and also kidney disease. So it's more than just teeth. So I guess you're saying we do need to be down in the mouth with our dog when it and because you can prevent a lot of major conditions just by getting into a hygiene dental habit. Absolutely. And there's some things that you can't do too much about, like um, progressive retinal atrophy is another disease of an aging dog where they progressively don't uh, see so well. Yeah. Um, They have some hearing loss. I believe my Rusty has a little bit of hearing loss. We thought for a while he was so obedient. He knew so many words. And all of a sudden he just wasn't quite as responsive. And we thought, oh, he's just being naughty. Then, oh, wait a minute. No, he's not hearing us as well. There you go. There you he go. can still hear. And then moving down the neck, you've got um, getting into the chest, there's heart disease. So I remember, you know, at veterinary school, looking at postmortems, almost all of the old dogs had like little pearly nodules on the heart valves, yeah. so-called endocardiosis, and that causes valvular insufficiency. So the blood, instead of pumping all one way when the heart contracts, some of it's squirting back, so the heart becomes less efficient, and that can develop to congestive cardiac failure, either left or right side of the heart. When I looked at x-rays in my morning sessions, I could see that the lungs were getting progressively more opaque. You could see calcification of the main bronchi, the airways, and you go down further. Well, we've we've got about less than a minute left, so if I may ask you, Dr. Nicholas Dobman, what is one thing you would like to have everybody who's lucky to have a good old dog maybe practice to help that dog? Well, something I brought into a practice I worked at years ago, in fact, in 1972, when it wasn't very fashionable. And I said to the boss of the practice, it was just me and him, two people mm-hmm. in this wonderful practice, and he had almost no clients. I said, you could build up your clientele very reasonably and for the good of dogs if you offered annual physical exams, regular health checks, and and blood work. You know, so I bought the machinery for him so he could do in-house blood work. And we started saying to people when they came in with the dog with some problem, um, let's see you again in a year minimum. And we'd like to check things. And of course, those checks might get more frequent when they pass an age where you might consider they were now getting My dog, My dog, uh, Kona, is eight. And we now do every six months wellness exams. So that's not out of the question, right? Yeah, it's much better to see things coming before they come because you can often head it off at the pass. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what the Titanic didn't do. You know, <laughs> somebody yeah. looking out for the iceberg. 
Yes, that's true. That's a good point. Hey, everyone, we've been speaking with Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He heads up the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. Give us the website, good doctor. Um, dogstudies.org. All right. I hope you all have had a good time. Uh, we want to, at this time, give a pause up to all our guests on the show today. We had Rashi and Eric Wiese from Lucky Dog, and of course, the prestigious, esteemed Dr. Nicholas Dodman. I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Tebra. They make a lot of great pet products. And for all of you tuning in, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tell your pals and for all the stations airing our show from coast to coast. So until next time, this is Arden Moore saying to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there, pause up. Thanks for listening to this episode of Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. For more information about the host, to listen to past programs, and watch full-length video versions of our guest interviews, our website is fourleggedlife.com. That's fourleggedlife.com. And have a pawsome week.